It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 350 of the No Encore Music Podcast. That's a good yeah, round number. We made it. We did. And to celebrate, Craig, we've decided fuck the studio. Let's go back to being remote again. Why not? Just like old times, old lockdown times, I'm back at a desk I haven't actually sat at in months and months and months. I've realized actually, I don't know if I've introduced, obviously, this is an audio medium, but. I've got this action figure of William Shakespeare that sits on my desk and I've just realised, Dave, you can see it, Adam, you can I see can, it, I've yeah. just realised that the quill that's usually in his hand is missing and right. I don't know where it is. I think I've probably vacuumed it up and it's gone forever. Proper fucking knives out mystery for you there to solve yeah. over the holiday season. Did um, you check out Glass Onion? I did, yeah. I went to see it last weekend. And has it turned you around on the whole franchise? No. Um, no. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm shocked. I awarded it 1.5 out of 5. It sucks. Oh, wow. It's so boring. These films are so boring. What the fuck is everyone seeing that I'm not seeing? When I left the um, cinema, um, I went to the bathroom, right? To throw yeah. up. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> and I, I was there in the cubicle, of course, and I heard a guy at the stall outside literally throw his head back, I assume, because he was braying. And he goes, so good to his friend. And I was like, what? You was he me? definitely uh, talking about the film? Maybe he was having a particularly relieving experience at the uh, at <laughs> the urinal. There. Yeah. But then I was outside, I was waiting for someone, and then um, I saw this girl talking to her mates, right? And she had, like, the biggest fucking ear-to-ear smile, and she was like, and I couldn't, oh, man, that bit, like, I saw that happen. Oh, it was just so, oh, God, it was so exciting, wasn't it? And I was like, this is so depressing. I don't understand really why. people in public expressing joy. Having a just... good time, yeah. Dreadful. It grinds my gears. Get used man. to it because we're entering the Christmas season, and it's I just be wall find to wall it from here on out. 
I, I, I just, the Knives Out thing, like, I, I, these films are so boring, and, like, it's just so rote, so overwritten, so not fun, and yet everyone in the world seems to be, like, I don't know, it's like they've been injected with fucking dopamine as they, like, enter the theater, and I just miss out on mine or something. Uh-huh. I'm not trying to be a killjoy, but it's not a good movie. Anyway, look, listen, you want to talk about a good movie? I just watched Reservoir Dogs. That's a good movie. Um, <laughs> Never heard it pronounced like that before. I enjoyed it. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Um, four stars. The yeah. was good. Adam is holding up my letterbox Adam's review. Up your letterbox, which says Tim Roth's accent remains a problem. It does. It really, really does. Good movie though. Kind of dark. Anyway, the point is, why are we talking about this? Why are we even doing a remote episode? It's because I'm not well. I'm unwell. And yeah, you're, uh, you're a champ for um, soldiering on. Fair play. Well, I didn't go to work today, but I am doing the podcast. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm, I'm in my room, though. So here's the thing. Priorities. It's, um, it's an I can't believe it's not COVID flu cold situation. So, yeah, yeah I didn't want, I didn't want to pass it on. So I was like, let's not go to the studio. Are you, you guys um, to get what I've got. Codeined up to the eyeballs. We had a slightly boozy under the influence episode by the end last week. Are we moving on to the harder stuff this week? Yeah, I'm on, um, I'm on uni flu. So, you know, I'm like that boxer from the ad. Remember, like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, champ, champ, the, what's wrong with you? And he's like, yeah. oh, my head, my head hoits and I'm all stuffed up. It's like that kind of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. yeah, it hasn't really fully um, kicked in, though. So, but I'm here, man. I wouldn't miss the show, uh, especially because be what would you do without me? Given that, you know, we had a top five. What is our top five this week? This is a music podcast, by the way. Yeah, welcome. Hello to everyone. And hello to people that have been in touch uh, about us being in their most listened to podcasts on the old Spotify wrapped. Oh, yeah, that came out. Of course, yeah. Um, Well, fuck it. Let's just, like, will we start with that? I guess we'll just talk wrapped. Are we going to give into the marketing nonsense? Yeah, I've already done it. I've already done it. And look, I fully appreciate people who, you know, are like Spotify is a capitalist nightmare and it's bad for musicians and people should be ashamed of themselves for sharing their Spotify. I get it. You have a very valid point. At the same time, you know, you're like me at the end of Knives Out. You're killing people's joy. So I listen to a lot of music. 100,000 minutes, apparently, according to the data I received this week. Uh, what about you, Craig? I guess let's just go through our top five yeah, songs and artists. Hold on, hold on, it. You haven't yeah. done it yet. See, Craig, I don't Craig, think so. I opened it, but I didn't get to look at it because I was on a. I went into a call, so... You have to understand, listener, he works in advertising. He's He gets enough of it as it is. He doesn't want yeah, any more of this kind of thing. stuff. I, I see them come in. It's very cynical. Turn off the sound, by the way, if you're doing this, because it's gonna off. it's gonna blare, you know, so as selected. This isn't my first rodeo. Sounds always yeah. off. Speaking of sound, by the way, I, I if I sound extra breathy, husky, and also just boomy because the room I'm in this week, you're I do welcome. apologize. <laughs> it's all, it's <laughs> all for you. I do apologize, listener. But uh, you know, it's needs must this week, so what can I, I say? I've got my genres, it's very bland. Unless they've made them bland on purpose this year, because it's usually very wacky stuff. But hold on, it's gone. My top one was indie rock. That was mine. <laughs> my second one was hip hop. It's disappeared from my screen. Um, art pop, new wave pop. What happened to all the like wild chamber psychedelia? Maybe I've just got know. very, very, very bland. Okay, here we go. We're moving on from sunrise to sunset. You keep it interesting. What is this? My horoscope? Just Yearning, keep, exciting, bittersweet. Keep, keep going through it until it gets to the fucking the artist, man. You know, or the songs. I, I can't believe you didn't do this already. Talking. You've had over twenty four hours with this. <laughs> okay, here we go. You sure? 
dead air podcast happening right now, man. <laughs> well, do you have yours up there? I do, but I was giving okay, the floor to, to you. Oh no, tell us yours and we'll we'll wade through mine uh, together. Okay, so what my top artists. Yeah. Number five, Health. Number four, Nine Inch Nails. Number three, The Strokes. Number two, Loathe. And number one, Slipknot. What a surprise. And uh, rather reflected as well in the top five songs. I've got The Dying Song by Slipknot. Probably because I listened to it a lot when it came out. Inner Light by Elderbrook, which is a cool little club bop, which I enjoy. Moon by the very cancelled Kanye West. I'm sorry, I love that song. Uh, These Days 2021 by Health. And Is It Really You by Loathe. It's my number one song of the year, even though it's from at least two years ago. So they're my most listened to's. Interesting. Okay, so my top artists. um, Let's go reverse order. At number five... This makes no sense to me. The 1975, apparently. What? <laughs> what happened? What has happened? <laughs> At number four, Phoenix. That's a given. It's all a given from here on out, Dave. At number three, R.E.M. <laughs> At number two, Big Thief. Big year for them. And at number one, would you hazard a guess? Is it year. by any chance, Craig, The Strokes? No, it's not. The Strokes don't appear. Uh, it's Arctic Monkeys. Okay. So she's interesting. Yeah, and top songs, um, Reverse Order, Diet Coke, Little Things, Dragon, uh, New War Mountain, Identical, There Better Be a Mirror Ball. Ah, okay. Very, very predictable. That was exciting, wasn't it? It was pretty exciting. I hope it was exciting for the listener. But the question is, Craig, will our own end of year no encore lists be as predictable and, and as exciting Indeed, for the listener, because let's throw some dates out. We're hoping to, uh, this is going to be our last episode, I think our last regular episode of the year, uh, yeah. to allow us to essentially go to our, our sound caves and listen to stuff and catch up with stuff from the year. Um, we didn't review as many albums this year. We are reviewing one on this uh, on this episode. That will be Stormzy. That's coming later. Um, but yeah, so we are going to do our usual end of year bash. I think it's just going to be you and me this year. And ultimately, we're going to whittle it down a little bit because... I like listening to new stuff, even as reflected in my like, you know, here's your playlist for 2022. A lot of it wasn't from 2022. So essentially, um, you and I are going to combine forces. We're going to come up with a top 10, no encore top 10 of the year, one for albums, one for songs. And we're going to try and get that out in the next few weeks. I think the way we, our tentative calendar, don't hold us to this because, you know, it's December, anything could happen. But we're hoping to, uh, on the 16th of December, Friday, we're hoping to put out our best of. It's the uh, clip show that Adam is working on very hard at the moment. Thanks to people, by the way, who sent in their submissions so far. You can do so at No Encore Show on Instagram or Twitter. Preferably Instagram. Adam checks that more. Uh, then, the 23rd, we will have our first end of year episode. It'll either be songs or albums. Probably songs. And then finally, on the 29th, all going well, we'll have the second episode. So that's the that's the schedule for December beyond this yeah, episode. nice and neat. So, a little break while we... Um, Pull the shutters down, essentially. There's a yeah, lot to catch up listening. on. Do some listening. I mean, like, we, we skipped a lot of stuff this year in terms of albums and in terms yeah. of kind of new releases. So I think we need to try and get back on it and not rush it too hard. So we're going to yeah, give ourselves... Get back to what it's really all about, where it all began. The music, <laughs> the music. Yeah, yeah, exactly, of course. Um, all right, so on this episode, it's top five standalone singles. We'll talk what that means later on. We'll get into the definitions thereof. And of course, if you love this show, I mean, it's Christmas, you know, time of giving and all that kind of jazz... 
It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support us. Thank you so much, by the way, to everyone who has since we set the thing up. And of course, across this year as well, means an awful lot to us. And of course, you can always message us in there as well if you want to give your suggestions for end of year stuff before we get it done. Stuff you want to see on the show next year. All that kind of jazz. And in the meantime, we'll move on with the show. It's time for the news. Start spreading the news. Yeah, it's sad news to uh, kick off the section. Um, word just kind of broke last night, um, so it was a late edition. But Christine McVeigh, as people will know already, of Fleetwood Mac fame, has passed away. She was seventy-nine years old. She she died um, following a short illness. Um, I think not too many people knew about it, including Stevie Nicks, who put out a very nice tribute to her, calling her her best friend and saying she hadn't heard anything about it until this weekend. She wanted to get to London to see her. She was advised to stay put to see how things went. And um, sadly, obviously, Christine took a turn for the worst and she passed away. A statement from her family said, it's with a heavy heart we are informing you of Christine's death. She passed away peacefully at hospital this morning, Wednesday, November 30th, uh, 2022, following a short illness. She was in the family, the company of for family, we kindly ask that you respect the family's privacy at this extremely painful time, and we'd like everyone to keep Christine in their hearts and remember the life of an incredible human being and revered musician who was loved universally. And of course, that aspect of her life is the part of her life that we all know and love. And yeah, she was a huge, huge part of Fleetwood Mac. Um, she came on board in about 1970 when the band was already up and running, um, famously married to John McVeigh in the band. Um, continued in the band, the pair of them, long after they had um, split up. Apparently Fleetwood Mac had a lot of, like, relationship squabbles and stuff over the years, Dave. I don't know if... You're kidding. Should, maybe, yeah. You think that someone would have worked should, his way somehow into the music, but... Did someone manage to unearth this in the last 24 hours or so? It's funny what comes out, isn't it? But, um, yeah, she was a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous songwriter. Some of her biggest hits came from her. Um, don't Stop, uh, I think, was one of hers. Um, everywhere, kind of latter day in the grand scheme of things, Fleetwood Mac song um, was one of hers. It's a song I, I really love. Um, and yeah, Stevie Nicks has spoken about for years and years how kind of welcoming she was to her when herself and Lindsay joined the band as kind of Californian blow-ins um, and, you know, bringing in a huge amount of success from there. But they had a really tight, close-knit bond. She left the group um, at one stage, I think in the late 90s, um, as I think they probably all did at some point. But she'd come back for the for reunion stuff. And... It felt like a real shock. And then you're like, oh, God, she was 79 as well. But, you know, not that that matters, but you just realize, you know, the march of time and all that. Um, these musicians are older and uh, getting, keep getting older. We keep getting older. And it's, yeah, it's just a, a sad day. Yeah, very much so. I think Fleetwood Mac are one of like, the most bizarrely resilient bands out there, considering all the uh, aforementioned squabbles and genuinely fascinating, you know, fucking wars that would that, that would go on amongst that group yeah. of people um and yeah i mean like last night when the news broke it was one of those kind of twitter moments where all of a sudden everyone's sharing the same tweet and everyone's absolutely devastated and yeah it is that weird kind of juxtaposition where you're like well you know 79 it is a life but also it's still sad you know like the, yeah, it's not course. exactly um but you know legacy goes a long way and an awful lot of people have been sharing incredible anecdotes about her and obviously Fleetwood Mac are one of those acts that are a legacy act i thought it was, i think mick fleetwood said something like you know you know, a piece of my heart has flown away forever or something, which was a very beautiful way of putting it. And yeah, I mean, for a band that were so fractured and volatile and anything could happen, 
you somehow didn't factor in this thing like like you just somehow thought that they would always be there forever breaking up and getting back together and like you know yeah people re- reading into the body language at the live shows and all this kind of stuff and just trying to like make sense of it all and how it applies to a modern context but a timeless act i think i, I think time will prove that for them and uh, yeah fly high songbird very very upsetting news and a lot of people are obviously very very upset about it but yeah. we'll, we'll move uh closer to home for our next one um not quite the same, but definitely some concern, I think, amongst the fan base. There was a profile this week on U2 in the Washington Post, head of their Kennedy Honors thing that's happening at the okay. end of the year. Some very American thingamajig. Uh, did you read this profile? It's very good. No, I haven't read it as yet. Um, is it, you know, a forensic dissection of the band and what makes them tick? Or is it a bit of a, it's, it's by all accounts then, not a puff piece, no? Um, it's kind of both. I'm right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's possible. Larry Mullen Jr. Uh, was one of the people interviewed. The whole band were interviewed, really. But, like, the guy who wrote is a guy called Jeff Edgers. It was for the Washington Post. And at one stage, he's talking to Larry Mullen. It's his first interview in seven years. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's kind of the quiet guy in the back, as we all know. The cool guy with the cigarette behind his ear and the leather jacket and the shades and all that kind of jazz. Um, but there's a paragraph here where it says... Um, you know, um, he's blunt. He says, if the band plays live in 2023, it'll probably be without him as he needs surgery to continue playing. And he admits the dynamics in the band are not the same as they were decades ago. So basically, that was kind of the height of it. But then on Twitter, like, you know, U2 fans are obviously hardcores, people around yeah. the world who would literally follow them on tour, much like Liam Neeson's daughter in the film Taken. Do you remember that? That's actually what she's doing in that movie when she gets kidnapped. Yeah, she's following you two around Europe, right? And she's like a 17-year-old American girl. It makes no sense whatsoever. Like. Uh, it's a real rite of passage, Dave. You didn't do that? No, you didn't follow you two around Europe? You were I did, yeah. And then I got yeah. like um, sold into sex slavery before Liam Neeson saved me, much <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. movie. As he killed lots of nondescript... Uh, it's very relatable. Yeah, you know, like not racially coded villains in that movie hell of a film um anyway so youtube fans were very quickly onto this jeff edgers character on twitter and they were like please tell us more is everything okay and he put up a a string of tweets about it which i thought was quite well informed but he left a lot of stuff out of the the piece you know your classic situation where i guess you got a word count even in the digital space and he said i interviewed larry on zoom earlier this month he was gracious and thoughtful when i asked a question he typically paused to think in silence before responding Uh, Much like Stuart Brightway from Mogwai whenever I've interviewed him. Anyway, uh, I got the sense he appreciated the chance to speak in a story about the band he essentially founded. I did not ask about his physical issues. He volunteered them. He said he'd been told in the past to rest or get work done and take time off, but he pushed through to perform. He does not want to do that now. He wants to fix his issues because he wants to drum again. Um, Later on, he shared another quote from Larry that didn't make the piece where Larry says, I miss the audiences. I miss the interaction, even though I'm behind a drum kit. My body is not what it used to be physically. I don't know what the plan is next year, but, you know, essentially he won't be there. I've lots of bits falling off, elbows, knees, necks. And so during COVID, when we weren't playing, I got a chance to have a look at these and there's damage along the way. I want to take time and get myself healed, which is totally fair. He is 61 yeah. and these things do catch up with you. And I think it's also quite indicative of an act like you too. And as demanding as it can be to be in the biggest rock band in the world, you probably do push through injuries much like, say, you know, a professional wrestler would. And just like, you know, I'll deal with that down the line. It seems like time has caught up with him. Very reasonable thing to do. But it begs the question, if you two are planning to tour next year, do they do something that I don't think they've ever done before and replace one of their members, even on a temporary basis? What do you think? They definitely will not, no. Um, I think they've they've completely bought into and would honour um, that, you know, 
it's not a myth because it's true, but that kind of long-standing thing of you two as this democratic four-person unit that is completely, probably without parallel, I can't really think of too many other acts that have gone that long without switching out any of the very original members. Um, I, th- I think it happened once before in like the 90s when Adam Clayton um, was on a bit of a tear or something and like he didn't turn up for a show that was literally about to happen and they drafted in um, a, a bass tech to perform duties but that was like the only time that happened. Um, I think he was off somewhere with like Naomi Campbell or whatever having a good good old knees up. Um, but yeah, since then it's been the four of them all the way. I can imagine the members doing something. I can imagine a continuation of like an evening with Bono with special guest The Edge and maybe special guest Adam Clayton, do you know what I mean? But it will not be a U2 show. It will not be billed as that. No, I don't think so. Um, So what you're saying is we might get to our Bono show after all. It could happen. Oh, hadn't even thought of that. But yes, actually, I think we might. Um, And Adam's optimism will have paid off he was very bullish about us going to that show which did not happen but it might yet yeah well i mean speaking of bullish larry has never been terribly shy about kind of rolling his eyes in bono's direction over the years um yeah. let's have two paragraphs from this piece that did make it just want to get your tight your, your take on this i was gonna say All the right. word thoughts and the word take there and it became weird in describing the quote-unquote blunt posture of Mullen, who is the least public of the group's four members by far, Edger says that the drummer admits the dynamics in the band are not the same as they were decades ago. As the 80s wore on and u two stature grew, band decisions would be made by what they called the Politburo, <laughs> of course. Uh, in Mullen's view, the system that served the band for so long has now become more of a, quote, benevolent dictatorship. He says, you only do this if you're having the best time and not everyone is going to make it because the price is so high. So I think the challenge is for more generosity, more openness to the process. I am autonomous and I value my autonomy. I don't sing from the same hymn sheet. I don't pray to the same version of God. Everyone has their limits and you only do this if it's a great time that you're having. So, I mean, there's always been talk of, you know, will someone walk away from you too? Is Larry happy over the years? Yeah. He's also, he, he did also say, I'm not leaving or anything, but like, you know, I think he's just kind of saying like, well, you know, Bono's Bono. That's the inference there, I suppose. They're old school friends. I mean, they're extremely close friends. These kind of um, disputes are bound to happen. It would be weirder if they didn't. Imagine they were just a completely in sync unit for 50 years, 40 years. Um, Just doesn't happen. I mean, even by their second album, October, there was talk of like the band falling apart because some of them had, um, were kind of more into Christianity and like struggling with how you would incorporate that into uh, the life of a rock star and the other, you know, bandmates were more kind of conventional in their approach. Um, So there's, and you know, Octung Baby, Larry, I think was a bit concerned that they were listening to a lot of electronic music. He's just like, what? (laughs) There's no drums in this. Like, so he's been through all the weird phases where they're like, Larry, we're replacing you for half the album with a drum machine. And he's come out the other side. Um, And yeah, I can imagine a lot of Bono's acts and words and actions have rubbed him the wrong way. Um, The Edge himself has talked about being at shows, his own shows, where he will go backstage and like a George Bush or some other like conservative politician will pop up and Bono will be like, Edge, say hi to such and such. And the Edge will be like, oh, hello. And then run out the door and be like, 
I, I know you're doing stuff to try and get charity money in, but I don't want any part of it. And I would assume Larry is very much the same. It is that weird thing of like, whatever Bono says, it does, again, carry that YouTube brand and that gets mm-hmm. back to someone like Larry who probably would just be happier doing the gig, going home, having a cup of tea, putting his feet up. Yeah, 100%. I can't imagine Larry describing the iPod as the most important art invention since the electric guitar. That's more Bono <laughs> yeah. speak. Uh, Craig, yeah. last week on the show, we gave UB Forting a bit of a shooing I have yeah. them in the news section this week. Can you tell us why? Um, so apparently UB40 gigs are more exciting than we're giving them credit for. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to go to one. It hasn't changed my mind in that regard. But yeah, UB40's drummer has revealed that the band missed the drama surrounding the shooting of UDA chief Johnny Mad Dog Adair at a gig in Belfast back in 1999, which I'm not sure I knew happened or had completely forgotten about. But anyway, he was on um, Belfast 24-7 on air over the weekend. Um, Jimmy Brown, this is speaking about how the band were completely clueless, um, Your Honour, as the murder bid unfolded (laughs) despite having a prime view of the carnage. So Adair had been out on parole from May's prison and he was watching the concert with his then wife Gina from the front row when he was shot out. Now, as soon as I saw this, I was just like, okay, you're out on parole. You know a lot of people are going for you. It's a very, very delicate, fragile situation. You might be laying low. I can't imagine a situation, if I was in this situation, which I can't imagine to begin with, but going, listen, I'm very concerned. There's a lot of people gunning for me. I do have these tickets to you before. (laughs) (laughs) What you reckon, Gina? (laughs) Oh my God. The front row. (laughs) Of all the Um, acts in all the world. I won't yeah. miss them. And he was, so, in fact, shot in the head, apparently, oh but man. it didn't kill him. As, yeah, uh, the story goes on as the group belted out hits belted such out. as red, red wine, <laughs> and I've got you, babe. A lone gunman shot the terror boss in the back of the head. Sorry, it's, I'm going to stop you there. Terror boss. Terror that boss. Is, <laughs> see, like, I love this because like, I did, again, I'm, I'm sure Craig will give us a complex background on the UDA in a second for any confused listeners, but um, Northern Irish terrorism, basically. <laughs> <in fairness>. um, <laughs> um, here's the thing, right? Um, I, I, this led me down a, a weird rabbit hole because I, um, I somehow I somehow stumbled upon a weird Sun article about Johnny Adair's daughter, who's an influencer okay. type. Apparently, she's like an influencer, kind um, of influencer. Um, beauty, I think, or something for the cause. Like, or is that <laughs> again? <laughs> let's let's just be careful here. Uh, please, no one come after us. But basically, it was like a Sun <laughs> article, and it was your, your typical thing where it was like, here's some text, and now here's like a massive photo of her in a bikini, you know, taken from her Instagram type stuff. And it's like, right, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, like, you know, referring to her as like, you know, a stunner, all this kind of stuff. But it's like, there was like, you have like mention of him, and then you have the second mention, the elegant variation, which I do all the fucking time, by the way. I'm a fiend for this kind of stuff. People are like... Don't, adjic- uh, don't don't use adjectives we don't need to don't you know you can just say he said you don't need to say like he gushed or whatever but i'm yeah, yeah. I, i'm forever being like you know the wrath cool native as opposed to you know you know like Dermot kennedy it's just because i just i don't know i just don't like repetition, repetition. Yeah. but some people are so against it but it's just very funny when you see this article about this blonde bombshell um and it's like the daughter of the ex-terror chief, or like, you know, you had terror boss there. Like, I mean, like, like where, where does it end? Like fucking terror supremo, you know, like, like, like what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, what a, what a rabbit hole though. 
So, do you, this want, do you want some quotes? Yeah, do you yeah, want some I do. Quotes I, I, from I really, really do. Because... I think it probably might put us on a more safe footing as well. Yeah. So, th- quite hilariously, um, <laughs> this quote came after show host Paul Martin and Jenny Krieger asked about the worst concert he'd ever had <laughs> <laughs> for four decades rocking around the world this is on a Belfast radio show he's like well guess yeah. what I've got a local one for you <laughs> yeah 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 the hometown fans will love this one um to quote when they tried to take out a hit on Johnny Adair at our concert in Belfast incredibly none of us noticed and it happened right in front of us in the front row we were performing and I noticed a bit of a disturbance, but none of us had a clue someone had shot him and there'd been a murder attempt until we got off stage. The sound crew were saying, do you know what just happened? A paramilitary chief was shot right in the middle of your song. Again, what? I'm going to stop you there. There's no yeah. way in hell a sound engineer used the phrase a paramilitary, paramilitary chief, chief. Yeah. was shot. They would say a man was shot. They wouldn't like, come on, this is absolutely ludicrous. And also, I'm sorry. How raucous are you B40 on stage to not know as a man being shot in the head in the front row? You're not the Dillinger escape plan. It's UB40. Yeah, yeah, I can't quite. Although, you know, the sound of guns, it's a bit different in the films. I, I Apparently I hear, so maybe it's, it just was something that would, you'd be like, oh, maybe a bit of the stage has fallen over slightly. Anyway, the quote continues. Yeah, yeah. We were trying to, yeah, we were trying to pe- put the pieces together. Not one of us even heard the gunshot. It was mind-blowing. It has to be the craziest and worst thing that's ever happened at one of our shows. The enormity and sanity of what happened really kicked in when the police started contacting us sometime later to give statements about what had happened. It was totally surreal which in fairness I would imagine it was I would hope that uh, like violent assassination attempt on a paramilitary chief as they call him is in fact the most surreal thing to happen at a UB40 show because what could possibly come close it being good <laughs> nice speaking of good Craig right Metallica are back in the yeah. world they brought out a new single this week and uh, I had the pleasure of I was going to say playing it on national radio but that makes it sound like I've got a show <laughs> I don't I was on the last word and I was like here's my pick of the week so they've announced a new album it's called 72 Seasons have you seen the track list? yeah it's um, they haven't disappointed I mean the last album was was right up there but just once again they're they're true artists, do you know what I mean? They're just letting it all hang out at this point. There's no there's no filter, there's no self-censorship. It's just great. So I'm going to give you the track list, right? The album yeah. is called 72 Seasons. It comes out in April. And the track list is as follows. Number one, 72 Seasons. Number two, Shadows Follow. Number three, Screaming Suicide. Number four, Sleepwalk My Life Away. Number yeah, five, ballad. You Must Burn, with an exclamation mark. <laughs> Number six, Lux Eterna, which is the single, and it's good, by the way. Um, yeah, and it's got the, it's got that, like, is it called an Ash uh, yeah, character? Yeah, yeah. The, the A and E combined. Fused together, yeah. yeah. Uh, let there be, no, is it Eternal Light? Is that what that means? Lux Eterna? I think it is. Yes. Um, yeah. Number seven. It's Latin, I believe. Number, <laughs> it is, yeah. Number seven, Crown of Barbed Wire. That's going to be a banger. <laughs> I'm hyped about that one. <laughs> Number eight is Chasing Light, which I feel is like a Foo Fighters song or an album, possibly. It's yes. definitely an album. Adam's springing into life over here. He's looking it up. Number nine is my favorite one. If Darkness Had a Sun, S-O-N. That's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wasting Light, Adam confirms. Yeah, wasting sorry. Light. Yeah. Uh, number 10 is Me in the Workman's at 3 a.m. Too Far Gone? Question Too mark. Far Gone? 
Yeah. Never. <laughs> Walk it off, mate. Uh, number 11. The one place you don't want to find yourself when you're in that state. A yeah, room of mirrors. Jacks in network bands <laughs> at the same time. A room of mirrors. <laughs> Hold on, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I just realised that could be taken as if I'm like doing coke or something. I just meant there's like mirrors in the bathroom. <laughs> sure, man. Sure, yeah. You're, just, you're referencing that great, that great English beat song that we all love. Oh, man, God. Oh, I'm and number 12, uh, yeah. my pizza order in a Maratha. So there we Beautiful. go. That's, uh, that's the Metallica album that we all I'm love. very, I'm genuinely excited because the last album was, there was a lot of quality on that. So I think there actually was. This we're, is a purple patch, I think. Hopefully. Yeah, we're having fun, but I do, I do like Metallica. I really, really do. And I'm looking forward to the album. Um, Craig, so, you know, I, I went to Berlin there a little while ago. And while I was gone, you did. Like it allowed, you back in the 90s, <laughs> it allowed the opportunity <laughs> for you and Zara Hedman to gush. And wax lyrical over Bob Dylan. I warned you, he's been cancelled. What's he done? Um, he has deceived his fan base, Dave, and I'm not happy about it. Um, yeah, so kind of a weird one. Um, I would have thought he's a bit more... Actually, hold on, it's Bob Dylan. He's not really that authentic. I don't know what I'm about to say. But apparently fans had purchased copies of his new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, which I flicked through and I'm intrigued by and I will definitely pick up a copy of at some point. Um, but yeah, there was hand-signed copies that you could get for, they were going for like $600. Like $600 yeah. um, with supposedly his signature and it turns out it was just this very clever machine that mimics his signature rolling Which, through to, them all to be fair it's called an auto pen and it is used by people who sign multiple autographs or like signatures like politicians for example if they've got like a million documents to sign um and basically Bob yeah, Dylan, they're not selling those documents that's the thing i mean essentially he was assured that that nothing would go wrong and then it did because basically inevitably when people got their 600 book saw the signature i guess fans compared them and they were like this is clearly the exact same one identical yeah so, yeah. I mean, he said that he's got a weird kind of system for this kind of thing. And because uh, he, of the pandemic he, and such and such. He, he like, said, yeah, he's had health issues. I mean, he's an older man at this point. Um, he kind of, he came out with an apology that was pretty, he held his hands up. Rare um, enough statement there, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was free to hold his hands up as well because he certainly wasn't signing any copies. Um, he said, yeah. so here was the statement. Um I've hand signed each and every art print over the years and there's never been a problem. However, in 2019, I had a bad case of vertigo and it continued into the pandemic years. It takes a crew of five working in close quarters with me to help enable these signing sessions and we could not find a safe and workable way to complete what I needed to do while the virus was raging. So during the pandemic, it was impossible to sign anything. The vertigo didn't help. With contractual deadlines looming, the idea of using an auto pen was suggested to me along with the assurance that this kind of thing is done all the time in the art and literary worlds. Using machine was in uh, was an error in judgment and I want to rectify it immediately. I'm working with Simon Schuster and my gallery partners to do just that. With my deepest regrets, uh, Bob Dylan. Um, do you reckon he wrote that? <laughs> with an auto pen. Um, essentially, I believe the publishers have also apologised and said you can keep the book, lads, and to, to get a full refund. So yeah. not the worst thing of all time, but not cool no, either. I mean, I can, I can imagine like his team being like, don't worry about it, Bob, it's fine. And he's just like, okay, whatever. I like, you know, it's... It doesn't really change my opinion of Bob Dylan. I don't think it's that big an issue. It's a kind of scummy thing in terms of his his team to be like, 
I don't know, bilking the fans. We've talked about that lately on the show, just in terms of um, kind of milking fan bases for all they're worth. So I don't like something like that. And of course, uh, Dylan heads, Dylanologists um, are, you know, more committed than most. So huge market there. Don't like to see people being taken advantage of, Dave. So uh, one man who doesn't want to take advantage of his fans as we close out the news section is Nick Cave. Uh, He's given a very thoughtful response, as always, as he usually does in his kind of... You know, Red Hand Files, I presume this, is this where this came from? It is, yeah. Um, basically, a young fan asked him about, you know, should I get a tattoo, essentially? And Nick Cave uh, went into a big spiel about how he got a tattoo of his girlfriend at the name, like a girl, girlfriend at the time's name, essentially. And it's a long story, but I'll just give you the kind of end of it. He got it done when he, in, like, in his youth, of course. And he said, um, I guess I'm wiser now, but that folly of youth will always go with me. And when I'm finally in the ground, the grinning skull will continue to mock and jeer at all the lofty pretensions and vanities and cautions of these, my latter years. So, should you get a tattoo, Chris? As a sage man of a mature age, I would advise against it, which is why I think you probably should get one, which I like. Uh, he's nice, way with uh, words, that guy. He does, yeah, which I guess it just leads me to, to, to say uh, congratulations to Sonic Architect Adam, who got himself a new tattoo in the last yeah, 24 hours or so. Yeah, admiring it there pre-show. looks very, very cool. We, uh, we went to a bar last week, Craig. We had a bit of a chat. I, I believe the subject of you possibly getting a tattoo it came did. up. did, yeah, and I was very bullish about it. Um, I was like, listen, if I, I what did I, deadline did I give myself early next year? If I don't get it done, call me out on it, something like that. Yeah. Okay, and so, I, yeah, you've clearly remembered that, and um, you're going to be sticking to that. So great. Yeah, <laughs> it's also it's a personal thing, so we won't say what it is. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I do have an idea of something, and um, I wasn't. It wasn't just the booze talking. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. And do you know what? Nick's words have uh, inspired me a bit. You can overthink these things. I think. Yeah, Craig's going to get an encore tattooed across his neck. It's going to be cool. You know, yeah, yeah. well, stuff. actually, do you know what? After the Nick Cave story, I was thinking face, maybe? No? Well, I mean, to be fair, I got a tattoo on my hand recently, which, I mean, I should say, like, I used to always say no neck, no face, no hands. These were, like, my 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 nevers. Is that just, just talking about tattoos or your, your cage matches? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, these are my uh, these are my, my my preferences when it comes to women. Uh, so like, that doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Make, no. Uh, no neck, no face, no hands, mate. Um, so here's the thing, right? I, I I got a tattoo for for my dad basically, and um, I after I got it, man, I I, I had such a strong I want to say like at least two weeks, maybe even a full month of pure anxiety. Like when I got yeah, it done, better, yeah, I, I, I was like. I, I, I just desperately wanted to undo it. And I was like, I can't undo this. Oh my God. I've, like, it's just whatever. I will, I, I, I'm, you know, I talk about this now because I will say like, you know, some time has passed now and I, I do actually, I, I now love it, but it, it took yeah. some fucking time. So what I'm saying is don't get your first one on your hand, Craig. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, but also from the experts. I mean, listen, I mean, it's, it's a hell of a thing and I really hope that you do in fact go down this route because it's cool. I, I want to get more, not on my hands necessarily, but, um, yeah, tattoos, man. They're 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> tattoos are cool. I'm like a Simpsons episode over here. Um, but yeah, we're gonna hold Craig to that True in 2023, everybody. That's what we're gonna do. But what we're gonna do instead is we're gonna close out our regular batch of episodes for 2022 with something that we have. I wouldn't say neglected. I think we've done a bunch, but we've just been very selective about doing so. It's time for an album review. The man's name is Stormzy. The album is called "This Is What I Mean." 
And here is a taster of the album, it's called Hide and Seek. Cheer up, Storms. It's time for Craig to do a primer all about you. <laughs> what an honour. Yeah, Stormzy, 29-year-old Londoner, um, already a Glastonbury headliner, uh, de facto face of grime, uh, though that really only encompasses a fraction of what he does now, his impact, his status, and I guess indeed his sound at this point, which we will be getting quickly onto. Um, emerged... Doing freestyles probably eight or nine years ago. Shut Up was the one that put him over um, the top, really. Went viral. Had a hit kind of big. I remember at the time he was pushing for a kind of a number one. It might have been a Christmas number one he was he was chasing. It didn't quite happen, but he made the um, the BBC Sound of 2015 a year later, which was um, always the big goal. You know, that one's a surefire thing. Um, but it was kind of always a surefire thing with Stormzy, to be honest. He made good in his promise with his debut album, Gang Signs and Prayers, in 2017. It was number one album. It was, you know, the start of him just writing himself in the record books in terms of British music. Uh, it was the first grime album in history to reach number one. Charted all over the world. And in terms of the actual content, it was just a great showcase for his real kind of bark and his kind of bite, the crystalline focus of his words, the kind of cascading power of what he did. It was maybe um, a little long and he took on a lot with it. And that's kind of been um, the case with everything he's done, which is a real strength of his, I think. But it means, you know, at times stuff can feel a bit flabby and you're wondering where he's going and then he'll turn in something that's wondrous and you didn't expect from him. Um, then Glastonbury kind of, Glastonbury kind of happened, um, was truly iconic, I think, as a performance, along with that stab-proof um, vest from Banksy. It's just that's one of those kind of moments that everyone can remember. We got a second album following that with that vest on the cover, Heavy as the Head. We reviewed it on the show. Actually, I think we probably reviewed both on the show. And that was him grappling with his new spokesperson for a generation uh, standing, I guess, along with his mental health issues and, um, you know, heavy as the head, obviously the weight on his shoulders, just personal issues, being quite frank, taking in new sounds. Um, His flow was kind of still impeccable. It was a thorny, not entirely comfortable listen at times, but um, he was clearly a man on a path to something special. So this is his third record. This is what I mean. It's the record. It's the title track kind of gets into the thick of things quite quickly where he's talking about, you know, it's now a bigger operation. Um, Had to close the store for renovations where people are kind of running out of patience. It's time to make a statement. So he he has entered that rarefied air where it's an event release and people are hanging on his every word and it's not just about delivering um you know 35 minutes to an hour of great tunes he has to also make great political points and uh lift the people up and it's a lot to take on it's kind of a love album quite a bit like that's woven throughout throughout the narrative um quite a bit I think my boy Alexis Protrudis said it's it might be his blood on the tracks or something like that. I think he compared the last one to In Utero. 
um, which I kind of got a little bit in terms of the fractured mental state and like how caustic it could be. But I don't know if that's on point. I don't know if the blood and the tracks thing is on point. Um, it's a little bit all over the place to my mind. It was previewed by the 11 minute track Mel Made Me Do It, which is not on the album. It was a standalone single. So uh, giving us the theme for this week's top five. Had a kind of huge guest list of appearances on the video, was a real who's who, was a real kind of like get it off your chest moment. Great wordplay, just really kind of enjoyable. Probably taking cues maybe from like Kendrick's The Heart series. Like it's, you know, he's, it's, it's all these touchstones that I think Stormzy keeps going to and um, using really well and delivering from. But you can see he has a kind of master plan in mind. He knows what hits, he knows what works in music. So, you know, with that in mind, like he's kind of doing the Kendrick thing. And he's also releasing this album with a note that he put out. And before I go to um, get into your review, Dave, he he kind of said actually he was inspired by Tyler, the creator in this regard. Uh, he put out this handwritten note to accompany Igor from 2019, which is a bit of a modern masterpiece to my mind. You know, we loved it on this show. Um, where he just said, okay, here's what's on my mind. It's something a little different, but I want you to spend some time with it and listen all the way through and then kind of judge it and I hope you love it. Um, That was where Tyler was coming from. So Stormzy's coming from the same place. And he says, you know, when Tyler released the masterpiece that is Igor, he shared a message with it and I wanted to do the same, but I was hesitant, mainly because I would love for my music to do the talking, but I thought I'd share this message anyway. I feel like I overshare, which makes me feel naked at times, but I do it so that you guys can understand me a bit better and to give the art that I make some context. I pray you listen to this album with an open heart and if you hate it after, I promise to God I'm perfectly fine with that i'm just grateful you listened with openness so that's all he's asking from us dave can you give him that much dave how did you get on um with this album and approaching it with openness as you do all music i know and (laughs) the standard five five listens true that we've arbitrarily set for ourselves or whatever i mean a lot to unpack in this album a lot to unpack in that in that preamble wow um I went to this album with excitement, for sure. Um, I don't remember reviewing the last album, did we? Are we sure we did? I could have sworn we were like, it's the end of the year, it's too late. Potentially, yeah. We definitely did the debut, now I think about it. So yeah, maybe okay. maybe we missed out on that one. I don't remember that either. Uh, wow, which which uh, strange. Um, anyway, the point is, right, I went to this with, uh, ver- with a lot of excitement. And also, sorry, Costa Rica have just made it one all against Germany and Japan are beating Spain. There's wild football happening in the background here, Craig, but I promise you, you have my full attention, as does Stormzy. <laughs> Uh, despite the fact that um, the artwork for this album is horrendous, have you, did you notice it? By the way, it's like a door yeah. with a letter going through it, and it just looks like I don't know some ITV crime show or something. It's but not um, right, yeah. it's not a good. It's not a good album artwork. But uh, is it a good album? That's the question. So my first impressions were I was like, this is so cozy and wintry, and I love that. Um, you say it's a love album. It definitely is. And the more I went on with it, I I definitely passed the five listen rule, despite it being quite a long record. Um, at what point did it emerge for you that you were like, is this Stormzy's Robin Thicke album? Is this Stormzy's Paula? Because it might as well be called Maya after Maya Jama, his ex, or apparently if the gossip columns are to be believed, current girlfriend, they may have gotten back together in the last couple of weeks. Good for them. Good for him because most of this album is I Miss My Girl. And it's a bit fucking mopey. 
I mean, it's a lot of at first when I was listening to it, I was like, "Oh man, look how look how happy he is." That new girlfriend must be working out. And then I was like, "Wait a minute, all these songs are about his ex. That's fine. You know, you can write yeah. about your ex, no problem." But it's a bit. I mean, he was doing that. He was doing that already on the last record. He spent two yeah. or three years talking about the same lady. It would seem, which is yeah. nice. And listen, I, I, I wish them well. I, I, I love Stormzy. You mentioned the Glastonbury performance. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen. Even just yeah. through a television screen, it's absolutely incredible. But I think this album gets in its own way uh, in, in that regard. He's every right to express himself. And I was reading up on it and I was reading up on him talking about the tracks. And, you know, he was talking about how like magic would happen in the studio. And he felt that God was in the studio with him. And, you know, like everyone was just bringing their incredible divine A game. But I, f- I kind of feels narratively and sonically like a step back for him to me, the more I listen to this record. I, I think he's too beholden to the ballad and too beholden to just the I'm sad, I want my girl back, which kind of permeates the record so often. You don't get that many bangers, and that's fine. He doesn't owe us, you know, another fucking, you know, Vossy Bop or whatever. And this is what I mean. The title track comes somewhat close. But I think for the most part, it's just very contemplative to a fault. Um, and I'm wondering how he's going to sell this live because... It it is wanting for that energy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I found this to be quite a slog, actually. It is. Which was yeah, I hate the to say it. Most surprising thing about yeah. it. Yeah, um, it's dreary. And him putting out a statement, which is like, I found that quite interesting because obviously the Tyler thing is because Igor was something quite different. It was like, here's me self-producing I'm on my kind of cutting edge pop game stick with me I know this is going to be challenging but go with me and that is not the album Stormzy is delivering I was like there's no explanation required for this one dude it's like it's too safe for that we know exactly what's going on I felt a bit like bets were kind of being hedged rather than like chances being taken um and I agree, so ballad heavy when I don't think that's what he does best. Now, he's had moments, of course, which are hugely heartfelt and striking and great. But Blinded too by many, grace, that kind of stuff, yeah, oh, it's amazing. Just tremendous, absolutely amazing. But um, those kind of moments are thin on the ground here. It's mm. it's more quite saccharine love songs, very safe, very cliched. Like, I think, again, to not rag on Alexis Petrudis, but he was kind of saying, you know, he does the um, politically charged firebrand stuff so well, but actually, you know, his wordplay is just as good when he's getting into matters of the heart. That's me paraphrasing there, but I don't think he is just as good when he's getting into matters of the heart. So many of these tracks for me were just like... I don't know. It felt Isn't it like nice to hang out with your girl in front of the fire after a long day? It's just like, really? Just verging on like kind of almost baby talk. I was like, this is, I don't know. It was like chatting to a mate in the pub who's like extremely charismatic and you're enjoying their company. And then he's just like getting distracted every now and again to be like, say really inane things to his partner. And you're just like, maybe I should leave at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, like fire, babe. Oh, Do you know what I mean? I, it's not, I just, even even the title. The, the title was uh, such title, a like like, yeah. like like a warning. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good, is it? It reminded me of um, Noel babe. Gallagher talking about um, Liam Gallagher's amazing, a really really gorgeous song, um, Songbird, uh, which is actually one of my favorite Oasis songs. It's a really simple thing, but it's it's, it's kind of gorgeous. But anyway, Noel was saying it might be one of the best things Oasis have ever done. But then he did say, I mean, it's, you know, it's one verse and he just kind of repeats it and then he's done. And like, he's like, what's up with the name? He was, it was clearly Liam just being like, it's a song. 
it's about me bird, songbird. And it's kind of fire babe is very just like, yeah, this girl's fire and she's my babe. And like the bars are not that much more complex than that. It's just like uh, we're getting stuff about, oh, she's great, she's dancing on the table, which is like that such a cliche thing of like the free spirit. Um, there's so many just very bland metaphors for like fire and water throughout the record and like um, your love is like holy water, drown me in it. It's just, it's stuff you would expect from like, you know, production line pop, isn't it? As opposed to one of the sharpest pens in the game. And there's glimpses of him doing that kind of thing. But actually I think when he goes into the title track and it is extremely enjoyable and it feels charged, it also feels like he's like, well, this is like, I people expect me to do the state of the nation thing. So here is the, you know, here's the designated section where I will tick that box. So, you know, the fact that that fired up stuff is surrounded by such content, um, almost inane things, I think drags it down. Um, My Presence Are Black is, is another one, which I think is a real standout. Um... And he's just, you know, firing off shots at the like, likes of Michael Gove. Very, very clever wordplay. Just great. Such dense Im- imagery. And he's he's just weaving great tales. And then we're back to the ballad stuff where it's so simple. It's just it's just like rhyming dictionary stuff at times. It's got and the, I don't um, think, it's got yeah, the, go the ver- all the verb of an old man slipping into a nice warm bath. You know, you're just like, cool. And also just that kind of thing of like, you know, if you're going to write a song about really wanting um, your lady friend back in your life, why does it have to be this thing of like, okay, we're going to bring it down. It's going to be some warm synths and it's going to be me, you know, in hushed tones telling you how much you mean to me. Do a banger about that, like mix things up. Do you know what I mean? It just feels like he's like, well, this is the kind of music that you make when you want to make this point. And then I'm going to go back into this kind of music. And I'm just like, it's so locked into genre, which is something I don't expect from him. He talked, it's odd um, to me. It's, it's he, very um, orthodox. He talked about how he wanted to be Frank Ocean on this album and Whitney Houston on this album, but he can't sing like them. So... I guess they're facsimiles, but he seems to be very, very, very happy with the album. And in fairness, if it did win him his love of his life back, well then, job done. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Mission accomplished. Love is bigger than, than a career, you I know? I guess, but I mean, it's just... <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, 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 just, it's so leaden at times. And I mean, like, there's times when I'm just like, God. And, and even, like, as well, like, Stormzy, like, when, I guess when he tries to kind of spice it up a bit, he's got, like, a line on one of the early tracks where it's something like, you know, he basically, like, the the the, the lack of subtext tells you he's desperate to fuck this girl that he's with. And he basically is like, oh, man, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, like like if if, 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 we, if we're here together in this situation. And I'm like, you're going to have sex with her, Stormzy. Like, like that, that's what's going to happen. There's no yeah. elegance or mystery or like, like what, you sound like a 14-year-old boy. Like, it was just like, 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 what the fuck is this? I mean, like, I don't quite get it. And I mean, it's just so, it's, yeah, it's, you, you expect so much more. It's genuinely often very boring and fair play to him if he's happy and if this, you know, fixed a, a massive life problem for him. But I don't know, it just it feels like he's just kind of exposed himself in a way that doesn't work musically. And it's this isn't the guy who headlined Glastonbury and seemed to be the commanding voice of a nation of a generation. That's not necessarily gone. You know, he can still do this kind of stuff, but... Just it just feels like a a, 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 a wrong choice or something, and, and I, I find it so hard to get excited about it. I was like, "There's an atmosphere here, but it's 
genuinely like putting, you know, that YouTube video on with like a fire burning for 10 hours. And it's just like, it it doesn't grab you. Like it reminded me of, um, because the production is, you know, it's, it's very well put together and it sounds lovely. It is like a, a warm embrace, but it reminded me in that way of the last James Blake album where it's like, well, this is kind of masterful stuff in terms of a very technical level of things. And you're clearly extremely talented, but why am I so bored? And why is there no risks being taken? And even all these love songs, I mean, it doesn't sound like you're going out on a limb. It doesn't sound like you're at your wits end, to be honest. It just sounds like courtship kind of. And, you know, I don't know if we need to hear that. It's not particularly sexy either. It's not that exciting. No. And the same goes for the kind of more, yeah, gospel stuff. You know, Holy Spirit, which I know his fate means a lot to him, which is great. And it like has propelled him to, you know, dizzying heights. But that song is just like, it feels like a rote gospel song. And there's, there's lines... We're into like Ronan Keating's son's tattoo territory of, you know, lines about, you know... <laughs> what's mine kind of passed me by and isn't it, you know, isn't it amazing that fate was all we needed? And you kind of look at some of the issues he's dealing with on the kind of more fiery tracks and you're like, is fate really helping the world? Is it? Look around. The place is like in an absolute shambles. Stormzy, I'm glad you're happy, but with Stormzy, we need your help, man, please. Get mad. Um, There's literally a track on here called I Got My Smile Back, which, I mean, like maybe a tribute (laughs) to the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, perhaps. I don't know. And I'll I'll tell you what else we don't need in this record. We don't need fucking cute references to Ed Sheeran and Harry Styles. Just don't need them. Don't need them in a Stormzy song. Not for me. Um, Love the guy. Love the work so far. Oh, yeah. In a live arena. In a live arena as well. Huge talent. Um, I love reading interviews with them. I love seeing interviews with them. I love that Glastonbury performance. I missed out on seeing him live uh, the last time he was over. I think it was just like COVID central and I was like, I'm not going to go. I look forward to catching him live someday. I hope he doesn't play most of this album because it's not very good. Five out of ten? Yeah, no, I was going to go five as well. I'm also now thinking like, did we review his albums previously or did we just end up chatting about them after the fact? Because I think it was be after the fact chatting. If, if we've only like... Sorry, Costa Rica. Costa, five out of ten. Co- oh yeah, go on, tell Costa Rica are 2-1 up now against Germany. This is mental. What? Japan are 2-1 up against Spain uh, in the same stop group. Stop the pod. Stop the pod. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm slipping down to a four out of ten. Um, yeah, five. Let's go five. It's um, I, I probably won't be going back to it, which is... Sad, really. Well, I mean, look, that, we'll go back to him, though, because we do love Stormzy. Oh, 100%, yes. And maybe yes. maybe it's, um, it's like, get it out of your system and come back with a much different type thing, you know, next time, yeah, no, I guess. We can, we can only hope, but... Um, right, okay, look, um, he stands alone, I think, Stormzy does, in terms of his <laughs> status, his reverence, his power, and his passion... And I guess the the life force he gives an awful lot of people around the world. But standing alone, Craig, can mean different things in the world of music. And I don't know about you, but I found this top five quite confusing in some respects because we're doing top five well, standalone. Well, I came up with it, so yeah. well, that's I mean, fair. Tell us all about it. Top five standalone singles. Yeah, I thought this was a bit of a Ron Seal one, but there is permutations and asterisks and stuff going on that did make it a bit of a a tricky one. So a standalone single immediately to my mind was a song 
that was released but didn't appear on the artists one of their kind of canonical studio records so just put out there as a non-album single a kind of event in and of itself either released in traditional fashion or like thrown up online but just and it was fine if it kind of subsequently ended up in like you know bonus discs and compilations but it was released with the intention of it being a kind of single event a track that would stand on its own merits to paraphrase um the legendary john giles and yeah i guess that was the thinking a bit like you know the stormsy track uh, we mentioned there where it's it's doing its own thing it's not connected to a wider piece of work it stands alone i guess yeah um i mean i think the ones i've chosen though for the most part like have a tie to a thing i mean like again like you're gonna get into the weeds on this and you might be like well, Dave, that clearly is attached to a compilation album or a greatest hits, you know, or it's a... Yeah, I think that's fine. It's though. from an EP. I, I, I very much took it as... Um, sorry, by the way, just as it stands, <laughs> Germany and Go Spain are going out as it stands. What? Costa Rica and Japan are going through as it stands with 20 minutes plus crazy oh stoppage time God. left on the clock. <laughs> Can we... Uh, do we have to? Do we? Do we can do we, we take have to keep potting? Can we, we take a twenty minute break? No, 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 let's just keep going. Let's power on. <laughs> oh my god, Germany! Can't leave the. Li- it's too old. <laughs> oh, this fucking. I've game. got a weird attachment to Germany ever since that twenty fourteen team. Do you know what? Like, I don't even have them in a draw. I've got Argentina, who I don't generally like. They're probably um, going to win. But now I'm rooting for them. Probably going to win. Look, we're derailing. We're derailing. Let's come back to it. Let's get back to the music. So like I say, the the ones I've picked, I mean, there's going to be attachments to some degree. But my rule was, if it's not on a studio album, a studio album in which, you know, the studio album, I guess, is like in your career, is very much the, well, these are our collection of songs we're at right now in our lives. These are the songs that mean the most to us. We're making a body of work. We're making a statement. And along yeah. the way, you can have stuff like, for example, the Stormzy track that you mentioned, the one with Jose Mourinho in the video, that's what inspired this list. Um, it stands alone. It's not on the record, but it is obviously a work, a statement of its own. And maybe someday it'll end up on a compilation or yeah, whatever. that's fine. It wasn't intended initially to do that, yeah. Yeah. And so in that regard, uh, how'd you get on? I had a lot of um, options, to be honest. So I had to start putting kind of limitations on myself. Like, for example, I was kind of thinking there was a lot of singles released in the 60s that didn't end up on albums. But it was kind of still in that weird era where like the album wasn't the enshrined thing it was. Um, So I'm not going to have like five Beatles songs, you'll be glad to hear. Um, and there'd be like weird things of like in America an album would be released with a completely different track listing and you know what I mean it was more of an amorphous thing Um, so I'm starting more 70s I I went through phases I I probably had about 25 songs on the go at one point I was was leaning heavily into Britpop then it got very glammy for a bit and you know what it's kind of ended up being very blokes with guitars oh fuck off because so, so has mine but, yeah yeah <laughs> no but, <laughs> but it's good music yeah. like because i was i felt like i did get derailed at one point and just go into the whole like lucy's culture of hip-hop and stuff and then you're just in the weeds of all this incredible music being released by the likes of earl and you know just so many artists will just throw up tracks and i feel like that's almost its own kind of thing so i went more traditional like here's a single we want this maybe to do well in the charts that was my take will i kick things off dave 
Yeah, I do. I will say as well, I, I, I almost regrettably have the same situation where it's all it's all white guys with guitars for me, unfortunately. And yeah, I, yeah also, we apologize. But I'm going to blame. I'm going to blame my illness, right? Because I was off to a flyer and then I was like, I'm sick now. I'm finding it hard to keep my eyes open without, without them watering up and stinging all the time. I'm going to go for these. I've got a hell of a top five. But there's definitely scope for a sequel here and maybe a bit okay. more variety. You go first. I'm going to, yeah, and I'm going to blame Cork in that case because um, not the people of Cork, but the fact that I had to go to Cork last minute for work and um, yeah, I had limited time as well. So I went on gut feeling, which brings me nicely into my first one because this wasn't going to make my top five. What was going to make my top five was the Libertines, but I was like, we don't need to have that discussion again where you're just very diplomatically being like, I didn't get it, but tell us, Craig, about how much it means to you. Um, so they're out and what's in is hopefully a song that most people don't know um, because it didn't do well in the charts, but it was a standalone single. Here we go. Larry Wallace with Police Car. Um, definitely not a track that was appearing on any album. Really tough to track down in general, actually. This is more of a case of like... How'd you do um, it, Craig? <laughs> Car boot sale, was it? <laughs> Uh, I went to www.youtube.com and it's there. <laughs> but I tell you, for love nor money, as the listener will have heard, you can't get a version that sounds completely crystal clear. I don't know if the original recording, and this is from 1976, it was a stiff record single um, released by Larry Wallace. He didn't release much, but he put out a couple of singles. Um, I don't think it was recorded originally in shoddy fashion it sounds to me and adam would probably know more but like when it was the transition was made at some point from analog to like sticking it on mb3 back in the day it just was done in kind of crappy fashion because no one really cared about the record and there's all these digital artifacts and it sounds slightly crummy but it doesn't matter because the tune is supposed to be rough and ready it's the whole punk thing dave it was all kicking off bookaroo (laughs) larry wallace wasn't involved with bookaroo but he was involved with bands like the Pink Fairies um, who were like part of the underground psychedelic scene at the start of the 70s. He then became like an early member of Motorhead um, before I think like Fast Eddie came on board and essentially replaced him on guitar. And then he like worked with other, like he was just involved with a lot of people within that scene, but always on the periphery. Um, he was like an engineer, an in-house guy for Stiff Records then. He did a lot of um, Reckless Eric albums. So we're kind of talking about that style of thing but like in his in his lifetime he released I think one album in the 2000s called Death in the Guitar Afternoon um, which I don't think did much and it was like kind of some of his old songs there's a version of this actually on it but it's completely different and it's it's not great I think he, he'd missed his moment at that point but when he was recording he only put out a few of his own singles and they just fizzled out and I don't know why because I think this song is absolutely 
brilliant. I think it works on so many levels. The riff to begin with is just one of the great um, kind of punk jagged riffs. It's kind of the jam if they could channel some of the danger of the Stooges. I think his vocal is brilliant. Um, like it's doing a completely different thing to a lot of his, um, you know, the vocalists he'd worked with, but he was absolutely great. I love the point of view of just like, in you know, embodying this kind of police car and playing it kind of for laughs, but bringing in this sinister um, edge to things. It almost becomes like a horror movie and he's clearly... You know, he was involved in the psychedelic scene in London. He wouldn't have liked a police car rolling by. So you've got that thing of like, it feels, it kind of gives you a jolt and an energy boost because it sounds quite cool. And you can imagine it being used in some like, like the Sweeney style, like throwback thing of like, yeah, yeah, you know, the cops like, you know, vicariously living through them and they're bad boys and blah, blah, blah. But also the lyrics speak to, um, you know, how this is not how they should operate in a just society. And they're just stamping on the little guy. And actually the police car is the, like the kind of the horror villain of the piece. So it kind of works on lots of different levels. And I just think the, his intonation, the hook, everything is brilliant about it. I don't know how how much people will have heard of it before, but like, I just had to get it out there because it it does kind of pop into my head on a regular basis. If I pass a guard a car, this is going to pop into my head, and now it will for you. So sorry about that, listener. Wow, ACAB says Craig Fitzpatrick. He has another hot political statement from the man all the way from Leak Slip. <laughs> Uh, number five for me. First, I should say as well, there's there's at least one song in particular, Craig, that I really did hope that you picked this week. A real kind of okay. mental chess game. I feel like you probably won't have. We'll get into it. But for now, um, I couldn't resist this number five. Um, we've already heard about them this week on the show. But let's let's take some time to celebrate them. And I'm going to get into some serious, serious analysis here in a moment. Let's go. Here's my number five. And the cans there had to remove my headphones just for volume reasons, not because I wasn't enjoying it. It is, of course, Metallica, and the song is I Disappear. So it's from a film soundtrack. Craig, can you name the movie? It was Mission Impossible 2, I believe. It was the overhated, in my opinion, Mission Impossible 2. I think it's got a lot going for it, including this song. A lot of dove action going on. It's kind of... (laughs) It's a bit clumsy, right? The it's villain a, isn't great. It's, it's a very, fun time, though. It's a very melodramatic movie. Yeah, it's John Woo yeah. doing his dove thing. Um, so yeah, here's Metallica with I Disappear. Uh, I love this song. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's one of their better singles. And it's, you know, again, it's on music from and inspired by. I always love that, you know, like that very like 90s, 2000s kind of thing. Music from and inspired by the motion picture, you know, Blade 2 or yeah. something. Um, so this is on there. So it's on that. But it's not on a Metallica studio album. Therefore it counts, right? And I had to have something from a 100%. movie. Um, but yeah, so Metallica. Oh, is this your sole movie contribution? Because um, I could think of a few potential ones. I think so. Yeah, okay. I think so. It is. Yeah, it is. It actually is, which is surprising for me. But I've always enjoyed the song. I, I think it's a really good shot of adrenaline. Do you remember the video in which all, all band members are in peril? Yeah. 
I remember um, Jason Eustace being shoved around a lot and I just being like, is this some like on the nose metaphor for the way he's being treated in the band? Yeah, it could have been. It looks like he's being attacked by Wall Street. Hetfield is uh, driving his car away from some kind of tidal wave. Lars Ulrich is in a building that's exploding and he dives out of it at the end. I forget what Kirk's doing. Um, and they're all and they're playing as well on like, you know, cliffs and stuff. And it's cool. Yeah. They're a cool band. Um, such a cool band that I um, went back to uh, something I wrote for Joe.ie before. Uh, every single Metallica studio album ranked from worst to best, you say. That's right. Oh, I'll take all of that you got. <laughs> and in honor of the new Metallica album being announced, I updated the article. I put it out into the world. So I'm going to go through. I'll do it quick enough. So in my opinion, Metallica's studio discography in order from worst to best. Are you ready? There's We're 10 not of them. Including S&M, no? Which no, was no, no. With the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. No, I said studio albums only, so I, I gave okay. it a mention. That'd be top three for me. But I said, no, no, it, it's no live albums, no whatever the fuck. So number 10, Death Magnetic, the uh, the Apology album from 2008. Mm, okay, yeah. I mean, I'd probably have St. Anger down there, but... Number nine, Reload. <laughs> yeah. Number eight, Load. <laughs> I think Load was pretty good, though. It's so. okay, it's okay. Number seven is Saint Anger, and I should say the anger of the Germans have powered them back to go 3-2 up against Costa Rica, shattering... Oh, but yeah. it, hold on, it won't matter if Japan win, right? Um, I'll check that in a moment. Yeah. I think you could be right, if though. if Japan win, they're, they're true with mm. Spain? Yeah, yeah, they Maybe should be. We'll I think, we'll yeah. Anyway, Saint Anger number seven. I was kind of like, I'd love to troll people by going higher, but I can't. It's got problems, but I've, I've got time for it, so that's number seven. Number six, Hardwired... Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. To self-destruct. That feels right to me, yeah. Number five, Metallica, a.k.a. the Black Album. Yeah. Number four, and Justice For All. Yeah. So let me, get, can I guess what you're, because I'm trying to remember this list. Okay. I'm, I think you're going to go, what did you go? Ride the Lightning, and then Kill Em All, and then Master of Puppets, am I right? Wrong. It's number Aww. three is Kill Em All, number two is Ride the Lightning, and number one is, of course, yeah, Stranger yeah, Things' favourite, yeah. Master of Puppets, which I think is fair. Yeah. I think that's a fair list, don't you? Yeah, no, that's good. That's a strong list. Uh, yeah, I think they're probably one of the easier acts to, to put something like that together, I think, right? Just in terms of, like, Master of Puppets is... I don't think there's too many people that would make the case that it's not their best record. You might have different favourites, obviously, right? That's fair. You it can just encapsulates it. everything they do so well. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and I should say, like, you know, this went back up on Joe's Facebook page on the same night that I was on The Last Word saying, and I quote, I love Metallica. So here's a comment I got on the article, Craig. You ready for this? Yeah, go on. Hatchet job of an article. Clearly the author has disdain for the band, who are by far the biggest and most successful metal band of all time. Focus on studio albums with no mention of 40 years of consistently legendary live performances is already skewed. Yet the author... In an album ranking article. <laughs> yet the author also <laughs> likes to have a pop with them over taking on Napster, brackets, piracy, two decades ago <laughs> and throw in vague references to corporate deals. If you don't like Metallica, and he added them in here, by the way, very funny, fine, but don't write BS articles like this shitting on most of their work on a massively exciting day for most of their fans bravo clapping emoji you ruined their day also you ruined metallica's day Dave. it's not a hit piece it's mostly me saying i really like this band here's the order of preference of their albums like what the fuck <laughs> you cannot win you, you know you i tell you craig it's comments like that that make me want to say i disappear am i right <laughs> oh 
love it. My number four is uh, a case of not being able to win, actually, uh, now that I think about it, because it was a band that thought they were doing something a bit different. Um, people had said that they were also rans in um, the shoegaze scene. I think at the time they were just, you know, a bit by numbers, didn't carve out much of their own identity. So they finally wrote a song that they thought was doing something different. It would come to encapsulate pretty much everything they did thereafter for a good few years at least and probably how the public um, remembered them. The reception to it at the time was so bad that it was intended to be the lead single for an album that they were working on. It was completely shelved. It still resides only as a single. I think it like a couple of decades later, it ended up on like a greatest hits. Um, they refused to reissue it even because they're like, well, if you didn't get it at the time, tough luck. Um, but to me, I think it sums up everything they do well. It's still like it's a real shot in the arm. It still feels fresh. Here it is. since I included them had to do it really it's pop scene all one word um, a song seen by a lot of people as the start of Britpop but maybe don't hold it against us um, it was panned as I was saying at the time um, and like the band were distraught about it um, Food Records uh, the band's label the boss Andy Ross was just like we were totally devastated we thought it was a brilliant single and they thought it was going to be a real turning point it got to number 32 which is kind of respectable uh, but as I say it was completely dropped from contention for appearing on an album at all and the band were it kind of cemented their feelings of just being like okay we're completely against all of the stuff that is happening in America um, at the moment Sonic in America um, in terms of like grunge and that's not what we're doing and we're not really about the self-loading thing and we don't really get that culture or certainly kind of not what we grew up with and enjoyed listening to so we're going to kind of like carve our own path and you know haters be damned so they doubled down Dave um, they didn't include Popsy and I guess they were saving face maybe um, but they did use that as the blueprint for so many kind of other classics on their second record Modern Life is Rubbish which I think is still probably their best album it's certainly when they're in that kind of vein um, some of the latter day albums were more sleepy um, again actually weirdly American influenced masterpieces in their own right but Modern Life is Rubbish is just this spiky like whip smart whip sharp just very um I guess traditionally British, but like winning in its way, kind of influenced by the kinks and harkening back to um, that whole British invasion thing, but giving it a, a modern coat of paint. And yeah, pop scene is just, it's so good. Like those kind of very plastic horns coming in, which they would go on to use to like more like emotionally devastating effect on like the likes of Badhead and stuff. But here it's just a fanfare of like, we figured out our voice. We know what we want to say about the world. Um... Now it is, hey, hey, come out tonight, pop scene, all right. <laughs> but they were being sarcastic, of course. Um, it was them basically just, you know, talking about the music scene at the time. How shallow it was, how they didn't feel like they fit in. And they wanted to talk about 
more important things, but, you know, make it catchy and make it fun whilst wearing a, an, a, I don't know, a cool Fred Perry shirt. And what's wrong with that, Dave? Probably a lot, but it was good at the time. Yeah, it was also good at the time when Costa Rica were winning, but it's 4-2 Germany now as we enter the last minutes, unfortunately. Okay. The dream is okay. dead. Uh, will you be going to see Blur in Malahide Castle next year? That's the question. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm tempted. I was kind of turned off by the fact they were doing Wembley Stadium. I'm just like, I know they're that big, but it just feels like they're very disconnected from what they once were. And also, it's all payday stuff at this point, isn't it? I liked the Magic yeah, Whip yeah. actually as a comeback album, but I don't think it kind of caught the public's imagination. And if the feeling seems to be that they're just going to keep rolling out the hits, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I need that kind of blur replica in my life. Um, That's fair. Yeah, at this point. It's a nostalgia cash grab. Um, also, sorry, real quick uh, on gig news. Yeah, boys, Arctic Monkeys. So they announced for uh, Marley Park. Oh, then it got yeah. moved to Malahide Castle. Now it's back in Marley Park? What's yeah, going people on? People rejoiced it was going to be in a much better venue and now it's back to the old venue. <laughs> I do not know what's going on. I didn't really understand the first switch, um, though it was welcome news. And... I by the way I forgot that the tickets had gone on sale so I didn't get tickets so I was relieved to be honest selfishly of me that I went back to Marley Park um but actually you know I wish people were having a a nicer time they're a weird one as well right because like they're such a big band at this point in time they've got the sing along songs from like AM which is how many years ago at this point the last two albums are not built for these kind of venues no it's such a weird place to add in their career. But anyway, that's probably a discussion for another day. Yeah, we'll get back to that in 2023. In the meantime, uh, we're going back to 2002 for my number four. by Nirvana came out in 2002 recorded I should say though in 1994 originally for the most part um, for a time it was known as Kurt's Tune number one and uh, when it was finally released as part of the Nirvana Greatest Hits album which of course has just the black cover with Nirvana written on it yeah. uh, this was the opening track and it was also the kind of I guess the promo for it and like I, so like I, I bought Pearl Jam stock Craig as we well know and I kind of eschewed Nirvana to the side I always liked them didn't quite get the religious fervor and I must admit to this day I still don't fully get it like the level of oh I get it I, I get it big time buddy I understand it completely I, I when I'm when I say I don't get it it's more me saying that I just never had that emotionally charged yeah, visceral reaction myself much like a radiohead for example I totally understand why these bands are totem poles for some people and I'm in no way suggesting that they shouldn't be I just didn't have the love affair with Nirvana that, say, my older brother did. And for some reason, it was maybe the more softer Pearl Jam <laughs> to, to, to lull me in. Um, but Pearl Jam have got plenty of good, you know, grungy garage rock bangers themselves. Point is, when this was all going down in 2002, I was really caught up with this. I was really intrigued by it. And like the Kurt Cobain journals and stuff were coming out. And Did you I, buy the journals? I didn't actually i was going to i bought it yeah i, I was going it and I to i kind of felt bad quite quickly after it yeah i flicked <laughs> through it in a store one day and i was kind of like you know i don't know if i want this and i mean like even like this greatest hits thing i mean it's all very kind of so much of this stuff is couched in obviously legal uh battles with courtney love versus uh, dave girl and chris novoselic 
including this song. I mean, this song was held up uh, as something of a bargaining chip and kind of a, you know, a, a piece of lost treasure that was used in this fashion. I mean, like there was talk. So basically like the story goes that Nova Selleck and Grohl wanted to do an Nirvana box set. And yeah. apparently Courtney Love and her manager were like, no, no, this song is so powerful. If we put it on a compilation album or something, it would make a lot more money. Like there's a quote here where it says the lawsuit, because there was a lawsuit, um, called this song a potential hit of extraordinary artistic and commercial value. Her manager said that a release with the song could sell 15 million copies. Chris Novoselic said, I, he didn't necessarily disagree with her. He said, I've always considered everything that she said. We considered it and agreed and said, hey, that's a great idea, Courtney. I tried to get along with Courtney as best I could, but there's only so much you can do. Quite the quote. Mm. Um, and essentially, yeah, I, I remember this album arriving. And again, I wouldn't be as plugged into the Nirvana fandom, so I don't quite know if there was opposition. But I will say, as a song, I think this is one of Nirvana's best songs. I think it's exceptional. Yeah, I, think I would agree, um, which made it all the harder, just being like, oh, God, the potential there. Um, just one tiny aspect of the sadness of what happened with that situation. And then, yeah, the, the sadness of it just ending up in terms of, like, teams of lawyers getting together and, like, trashing out what's going picking to... Picking the fucking you know, bones. Like, it's so... Totally picking the bones. And I was going to say, I, di I didn't actually know... I didn't know that that it was laid out so like black and white like that uh, by Courtney Love's team, but it certainly was one of the last times I can remember. Remember, um, because we're still very much in the CD days there. But like when I bought one it, yeah. track I would bought be that album. such a huge incentive to purchase an overall album. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking a year or two later, that's gone when you can just download individual tracks. But yeah, back then it was like it was a really case, really a case of like I'll spend twenty quid just to get one song. Um, which I did as well. <laughs> and it was worth the wait. It was really, really good. We got the box set in the end, um, when yeah. the lights go out, which was great. I guess that was always the plan. Um, put out the greatest hits, make the money, and then give the people what they want. Um, I mean, again, like, you know, it's standalone single and that it was a standalone single. It is, of course, you know, the front runner on this Greatest Hits album, which came out and it was the first track on there. But, like, that exists in its own kind of weird world to me as well. You know, it's it's a it, Greatest Hits yeah. <laughs> with a new it's track. To talk about the song itself, it's it's a weird song considering actually it by rights should be quite a traditional Nirvana song. It's doing the quiet loud thing, you know, the the chorus itself is literally that kind of one syllable roar that they did so well. And yet it feels like they were taking the sound in a different place, doesn't it? It's just like there's a sophistication about it. There's like a prickliness. There's just something different going on. And yeah, what could have been? So, I mean, another bit of kind of detail. Dave Grohl in 2019 spoke to The Guardian and said that he listened to the song for the first time in 10 years. He said, oh God, it's hard to listen to. It was not a pleasant time for the band. Kurt was unwell. Then he was well. Then he was unwell. The last year the band was tough. He said the lyrics are heartbreaking. I used to think it sounded like Cobain was singing the chorus. Now I listen to it and it sounds like he's wailing. I mean, obviously his yeah. interpretation is going to be a lot more personal than ours, but I do think it's a pretty exceptional vocal take. Also, I didn't know this. In, in May of 2020, Cameron Crowe, the director, said in an interview with Stereogum that he'd hidden this song, so before this was obviously released to the public, in the yeah. film Vanilla Sky. Now, I've seen Vanilla Sky about five or six times, and I've never heard this in the background. Uh, he said, we couldn't credit it in the movie, and it was actually illegal, but Courtney Love gave it to us. She said, this is the only Nirvana song that's never been released. Hide it in your movie somewhere. What? <laughs> like, Hide? Uh, okay. 
That's incredible. I wonder where it is. I've seen that movie loads of times. I must actually go back. I mean, and surely, surely, yeah, some some fan has picked it out. That's got a hell of a soundtrack, by the way. That movie, it's fucking great. Like it's kind of yeah. start to finish, absolutely brilliant. But yeah, this is an amazing song, and it does have a genuine raw power, even if it was arguably quite misused. Yeah. Okay. From agony to ecstasy, quite literally for me. Probably fitting we'll reflect on the football for a little bit, Dave. Yeah, I'm just going to, like, if I may, the whistle's about to go here in the Costa Rica-Germany okay. game. Germany are about to win 4-2. But if I have my maths and sums correct, I think it's all for naught, Craig. If Have Japan won, yeah. Japan have beaten Spain by two goals to one. Yeah, Japan are true then. It didn't matter what Germany did. So Japan and Japan Spain won. go through and Germany go home with the group stages for the second World second Cup in a time. row. What? Crisis. Crisis mode. Jesus oh, Christ. Man. So you've picked Temptation by New Order as your number three. Um, yeah, can we maybe just... Maybe should have been World Emotion. I mean, <laughs> England fans will be rejoicing. <laughs> it's a hell of a song. Can we just like, like... We rarely do this, but can we do like some, some kind of like, you know, energy combine here? Adam, can we have my number three? Can we just throw it into the mix here, please? Oh. Oh, okay. So yeah, of course, that is True Faith True by Faith. New Order. Craig, do you want to just gush about New Order for five minutes? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, we could have gone, like I obviously had um, Love Will Tear Us Apart recently, so that that was eligible for this as a Joy Division song. But then you're straight into New Order, like releasing singles that don't appear on albums and so many of them are absolute classics. Ceremony was the first one. Um, one of my favourite New Order songs, but it didn't feel, it still feels very much like a Joy Division song. Whereas Temptation for me and yeah, True Fate is just the purest expression of what made New Order are great um the as i said the kind of ecstasy quite literally but just the wide-eyed joy and innocence the bass playing the use of kind of synthesizers and drum machines in such an interesting way and those hopeless vocals that are absolutely perfect and should not be replaced and could not be replaced um yeah, one of the greatest single bands of all time, I think. I mean, and because they were so plugged into dance culture, you were getting kind of 12-inch versions as well, amazing remixes. They are a band where you have to buy the compilations if you're going the kind of, you know, buying stuff route as opposed to just streaming stuff. Because if you just go through their studio albums, it tells a fraction of the story, which I think is really rare. Yeah, no, for sure. And like you could have had, I think, Ceremony as well would have qualified for this, which... I was. Blue Monday would have qualified. Yeah, exactly. But actually, that's probably just overplayed. It's probably not one I reached for. But I mean, that's, I think, the 
the biggest selling 12 inch single of all time famously lost the money every time they sold a copy because oh, yeah. the artwork was so expensive <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean it's it's an embarrassment of riches really and i think yeah. new order had to feature here for that reason because i mean are they the kings of the standalone like how do you explain this i think so like how do you explain them not putting it together on a body of work in a traditional sense i mean was well it- I, I do think it, there was a wave of that in the 80s it might have been a bit of a 60s throwback where it's kind of like well the the single kind of reigned supreme back in the day and i do think that it's a weird weird UK thing where like Top of the Pops the charts had such a kind of a grasp on the psyche that if you can write a hit song or a song that stands alone that's almost that is more power than a classic album so like the Smiths had loads of um, singles that didn't appear on records it was kind of like a badge of honour that you, you know you'd so much quality that you could just kind of put them out on their own and then I've got actually another 12 up my sleeve that's going to be the album but as I say yeah New Order just took it to the extreme because they were plugged into kind of dance culture, um, 12-inch thing, having fun and playing around with their songs. And yeah, it felt like their masterpieces were in the songs themselves rather than the overall records. Yeah, and also for my part, picking True Faith, I mean, it's kind of the one for me out of all their incredible songs. And they have so many great ones, so many great standalones. But True Faith has just, like, it hasn't aged a day for me. It just sounds timeless. It sounds... Like, it just gives life to the world. It's perfect. The bass line's unbelievable. The vocals are great. Uh, there's an air of mystery to what it's even about. It's always, it's just always worked for me. I've never, it's never come on and I'm like, oh, I'll skip that. It's just intoxicating. It's hypnosis. It's them at their very, very best. And uh, I'm really glad that, that we linked up kind of perfectly, kind of seamlessly on that one. So, yeah, uh, just, as, just as Germany crash out of the World Cup, new order. <laughs> uh, happy. Is it a sign, Dave? Is it a sign? Is it coming home? Oh, God. That's not. By the way, when Richard recently picked um, World in Motion and we were chatting about it, we forgot to mention that, of course, the original title of that song, do you remember? No. Which was vetoed. It was originally called um, E is for England, as in, <laughs> of, course. of course. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, it's a pity that didn't slip through, but yeah, and a beautiful band. I will go to my number two then if I get, uh, yeah, that, let's go from a beautiful band to a beautiful boy. Here we go. Century Boy from T-Rex. Um, I probably talked about T-Rex on the show before in terms of them being a singles act and the alchemy, I guess, of Mark Bolan being that he could do so much with so, so little and that's no knock at all. It's just like he had the fundamentals of... I've gone into uh, I've gone into old school football mode here. The fundamentals were down. Um, but like he could take a couple of lines of melody and make it just one extended, eternal, joyous chorus with lyrics that didn't really mean anything but made you feel incredible and hinted at maybe some unknowable truth. And um, 20th Century Boy was put out as a standalone... Um, I think it was prior to the record Thanks, which was when things started to go slightly sideways um, for T-Rex. 
They had a really, really short, imperious phase. I think it was maybe 18 months to two years where um, he shortens the name from Tyrannosaurus Rex to T-Rex. Um, he stops doing kind of acoustic songs about wizards and like Tolkien stuff. Um, like I think he ditched um, the member of the band that was nicknamed Perican Tuck, uh, which is just like, okay, yeah, probably the move at that point. Um, he inv- <laughs> he invents glam um, yeah, sorry. and he starts like singing about cars. Just yeah. Imagine being able yeah. to say, I invented glam. <laughs> I know, right? And he ushers in like, every, he ushers in Bowie and everyone else and within two years, he's kind of overtaken. And I guess five years later, he sadly passed away. And again, he was uh, 29, like the age of storms he is now, which is incredible to think of. You think of him having this kind of lengthy period where, you know, he he seemed almost like, you know, he was washed up and music had moved on and he was an extremely young man, um, which is really sad. But he had that period where he was just, he could do no wrong. And it was all about singles, really. Um, Electric Warriors, a, a really good album. Slider's really good as well. But he would put out... Again, it's kind of like a run to rival New Order. It's that thing of like you'd starting with Ride of White Swan, which kicked everything off. And it's just, I don't know if there's a verse or a chorus or it's like a few lines of melody that just repeats. And it sounds like it's a riff from the 50s. And somehow it's just utter magic. And that kind of sets him on his way. And you have a string of singles that aren't really appearing on records. Um, It probably ends here. And what a way to kind of end that run. But you've got Children of the Revolution. You've got just, just so many options I could have gone with here. Um, I think I probably just picked this one because I love that intro and I felt like it would make for a good clip. But he's, I've actually spent, uh, you know, the small free time I've had this week just dipping back into T-Rex. And they are a great band to like dip into a playlist. And some of the deeper cuts are really, really good and will surprise you. But my God, just like, if you want like a morsel of something, just a small amount of something extremely brilliant, you know, this kind of thing. Metal Guru, which is just uh, probably my favorite song on ours. T-Rex, outstanding. <laughs> Carrie Lineker over there. <laughs> outstanding. Um, yeah. So two part question follow up, if I may, before we move on. Uh, mm-hmm. One is a contrarian question. We'll get to that secondly. First of all, can we credit them with the, the quote unquote glitter beat or do we have to credit Gary Glitter with that? Oh, no, I don't think we can think we can. Well, first of all, that's the Glitter band, not Gary Glitter. So he doesn't get it. His musicians do. Okay. Um, So, I mean, that gets rid of that problem. But, oh, God. I don't know about the beat. I don't know about the rhythm. You say, you say he invented Certainly glam. The riffs. I mean, like, you know, I guess the kind of overall style. Maybe I'm making well, he put too... some glitter on his face and had lovely hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> second second question, feminine. more contrarian a little bit again. I mean, is the song at all cheapened by the fact that it is the go-to song for any scene that establishes the 70s or whatever, like, it, yeah, like yeah, in any film cliche. ever or any kind of, like, ad for a new BBC show that's set in the 70s? It's just like... I. Yeah, it totally is. I had like the the clip cut for Ride of White Swan because I was being kind of be like, well, actually, I think you'll find this is the real masterpiece. But then I played 20th Century Boy and I was like, oh, it retains the power. It's, you know, got to put it in. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, speaking of power, um, this is very much a Craig endorsed pick for me for my number two. Uh, it is on an EP, but it did not appear on the band's subsequent debut album. And I maintain to this day... And Adam, I'm going to want to count here on how often I've picked this band because they've kind of shot up out of nowhere in the last little while. Uh, this is their best song by a mile it's incredible and it's not on fucking Spotify which drives me insane even if Spotify is the devil 
unstoppable youth of Block Party. It's Block Party. It's Little Thoughts. Fourth time apparently they've appeared on the top five, uh, which uh, yeah, they're they're getting up there, which surprises me. Uh, <laughs> you love a bit of Block Party. I do love a bit of Block Party. A little bit of early Block Party in particular, and this song is from I believe the Little Thoughts EP, which predated Silent Alarm, and it's just perfect. It is. I think you introduced me to this. I, mean, I feel like you played this for yeah, me. Yeah, because I was I was very annoyed that it didn't feature on an album. Mm. Um, yeah. you, you either showed it to me in the hot press office or in your gaff on one of our many nights post workman's <laughs> when I ended up staying in yours and yeah probably it's just amazing I'm, I have such affection for it uh, first of all because it reminds me of those kind of formative times with me and you in hot press and also it's just yeah, the most perfect nice. statement from an indie rock band of that era and I think they never bettered it I'm baffled as to why it didn't make it onto Silence Alarm. Like, what on earth? It's amazing. It's perfect. It's so pure. It's so fun. It's so tearaway. Even the video is cool. It could be my favorite song from that kind of era. Like, you know, like, not landfill indie, but just that it, kind of, you yeah. know, that, that 2.0 Britpop thing, which is not that either. The, the new rock revolution. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole punk thing was kicking off. Um, no, but it does, like, it's, it's it amazing. It does remind you of, like, oh, actually, you know, a lot of that music was kind of fresh, and they did interesting things with it, and it, did, it wasn't just lump and rehash stuff. There was clever, clever, really good, you know, sharp writing there and playing and... You yeah, you remember why it was actually genuinely exciting because of stuff like this. Yeah, it's a perfect, perfect, perfect pop rock song. It's an incredible jolt of energy. It is Little Thoughts by Block Party, and it's not on streaming services. So you know, I, I'm forever looking it up on YouTube and sometimes walking around holding my phone with YouTube on because I don't pay for YouTube Premium that type thing. Yeah, it's a perfect song. Uh, I love it. I think I, I think it's incredible. But it's not my number one, bizarrely. Amazing pick, amazing pick. Okay, my number one is probably quite predictable, but it was going in just on the massive chorus alone. Um, it had to be in there, but also what it represented, Dave, in terms of this category, um, because it was a massively successful single, went to number one. I think it was the first number one of the 20th century, or sorry, the, the 20th century. Yeah, we're going back to 1900 here. Um, no, I think it was the first new number one in 2000, which isn't actually quite the 21st century, of course, that being 2001. Um, but maybe it just marked a kind of good omen in terms of like the turning over of the calendar. It's from a band that actually, it's kind of weird to think that they had such a uh, a kind of high watermark in terms of commercial success that they could put out a song like this and it would go to number one, particularly considering the fact that they deleted the song immediately. So after like a day of release, it was deleted. There was no more presses made and it still got to number one. And here it is. Dave enjoyed that one. It's oh yeah, the Manic Street Preachers, Masses Against the Classes, banger, yeah. banger, fucking banger. I was going to pick it. It was on my long list, and I didn't. And I'm glad that you did. But that meant that you didn't pick the one that I thought you might. OEM, The Great Beyond. Oh fuck, fuck's sake! I didn't even think of that one. <laughs> he didn't think of it. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, that was that on Man, Man on the Moon, yeah. It so was, that was yeah. a soundtrack song, yeah. Probably just wasn't in my yeah way of thinking because maybe that would have featured, yeah. But this is my number one. It would have been my number one anyway. Um, yeah, so like a weird kind of return to their spikier, punkier um, roots, I guess, on this one because they'd just come off the back of This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours, which is more kind of pop orientated I guess um like some great stuff on it but it's it's probably as bland as the Manics get and you know they were having a lot of success <clears throat> there was critics emerging I mean we're very post Richie Richie Edwards at this point so it's Nicky Wire uh, writing all the lyrics and James coming up with the songs and um yeah it just seemed like they were entering maybe their dad rock phase and the way they talk about this one is um I think James Dean Bradfield has said it's kind of like the last like blip on the radar of our like punk beginnings. It's just like, like he was, he was back home in the valleys, I believe at the time. Um, His mother was extremely ill and she'd subsequently kind of pass away. He's, you know, he's, he's written about that on stuff like Ocean Spray. Um, But he was just kind of at home in a real kind of throwback domestic setting, just caring for his mother and away from the band and strumming away on the guitar and playing very hushed kind of new melodies, which this began as. And he was like, yeah, actually, this was very like the verses were extremely hushed, like a Leonard Cohen thing. But then I came up with this chorus and I couldn't help belting it out like in my gaff. And um, I was like, oh, that's a, that's like a feeling I haven't felt in a while. This is like where we came from. And so once Nicky got his hands on it, he all the lyrics are just about like, don't forget what we used to be about. I mean, you're opening with a like William Gladstone quote. You know, it's just very socialist and pretentious and brilliant fun. Um, and to get to number one, so good. Like, I think it sold, um, it's sold over 70,000 copies, I think. Um, first day or first week, it got to number one anyway. It was deleted straight away because they're just like, this is a moment in time. We just want to do something cool. And it knocked off Westlife's I have a dream seasons in the sun double a side <laughs> off the top spot which is like fucking brilliant yeah. just one of those great moments yeah 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 so that's my number one had to be it's great I love it it's full of pure electricity I I, I adore this song it reminds me I, I remember vividly like seeing it on like you know a snippet for on like top 30 hits you know it's kind of like coming next week getting like 30 yeah. seconds of it and being like well that sounds fucking amazing um, yeah. yeah, great fucking choice. Um, my number one standalone singles might be one that you picked before. I can't quite recall. Again, maybe a bit of a gimme, but I just don't see how I couldn't wrap it up with this because this to me is like this is something that goes beyond music and becomes pure magic at a certain point. Gotta stop saying the word pure, but here's my number one. Inside. Atmosphere by Joy Division. Uh, Craig had a, a, a rueful sigh and like a shake of the head when it came on. Yeah. It's just so powerful. Magic. It's, it is magic. It, it really genuinely is. is. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, again, Joy Division are in that kind of new order bracket for more than the obvious reasons. They're there because also a lot of their stuff is put together on compilations after the fact. And yeah. essentially, I mean, like it's it's look, it's very, very hard not to sound like you're fucking 
you know, going too far and waxing too lyrical when you talk about Ian Curtis and obviously what it all means and how the songs now sound like transmissions to another place and time and all this kind of stuff. But it really, really does, right? I mean, this song, those kind of glimmers that come into it, it's like it's a new level, right? It's, 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 I don't know how they did it. I don't know how the drums sound that way. I don't know how. It's transcendent. Yeah. But in a different way to the joy of New Order. Like there's hallmarks there, but it's just like, how could two, how could the same band essentially have those facets of, I don't know. And so young. Something else. So fucking yeah. young as well. So, it can be like yeah, yeah, kids. Yeah. And yet they're making this like extreme, like level of, like empathy kind of based communication now, now I sound like a terrible lecturer but I mean like empathy <laughs> based communication that means there's words I'm just looking always, for words because I can't find I them always, when it, yeah, when it comes I to always I always think of um, the closing of Control whenever I hear this song now just because I, I thought that film really encapsulated what they were about I mean obviously there's there's problems with any kind of film um, you know that deals with a subject matter like that um, but the performances were great it was very kind of carefully done it was Anton Corbin, wasn't it? it Which was, is, yeah, yeah. You, you made a U2, so it's all... It's a very narrow band of music we're talking about this week, but all ec- excellent. I mean, like, I yeah, that. we said it at the start, and, like, it is it is pretty strongly white guys with guitars, the list. And, you know, look, we've done, we've done that on more than one occasion, but yeah. sometimes some songs are just impossible to ignore. And in this case, this is just how it shook out this time. It's definitely one to revisit. There are... It's kind of an infinite well, really. I mean, it was one of those things as well where, like, again, my long list was fucking huge this week. And I was just like, okay, look, you know, pick these five. These are the five for now. They're all five-star songs. They all mean a lot to you. You know, okay, I Disappear by Metallica might not be a five-star song. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily mean a ton to me emotionally, but I wanted to do my album ranking. So, you know, that's just how it goes. And, you know... The podcast. You have to justify yourself, Dave. I want to. To the, to the listener. I want to. I love the <laughs> if listener. If you've got this far, listener, I love you. I love the listener. I'm obsessed with the listener. Uh, <laughs> As am I. So here's the thing. Whoever right? you are. Yeah. That one person out there. But seriously, though, like, you know, thanks for listening to us all year. It's been a lot of fun. Tell your friends. Yeah. And if you want to go the extra mile and support us with some cash, by all means, it's patreon.com slash no encore. Um, the podcast doesn't stand alone, though, does it, Craig? It is so, so much a group effort. And without the assistance of the wonderful, freshly inked, freshly tattooed Sonic Architect Adam, we'd be adrift ourselves. And we wouldn't want to be that way. So thank you, Adam. We love you. We would. No Mike this we week. Because we're all. No Mike. We're I all, really miss Adam. We're, actually, we're all doing week. remote stuff. So he, that, that's why he was quiet. I don't know. Right, so as noted earlier in the show, and again, I apologize for um, if I sound decrepit, um, we are hoping to have our next episode being our best of, and that'll be out on the 16th, hopefully, touch wood, if it gets done, it's December. Then we're looking to get our end of year first episode up on the 23rd, and the last episode being the second end of year episode on the 29th, and then the show will take a quick break in January, and we will be back shortly after that. But um, lots to come, of course, and... uh, Oh, also, sorry, I just saw that the Pitchfork gave Stormzy 7.7 and said he's at the peak of his powers, so other opinions <laughs> are available. That's fine. It's no problem. If 7.7 is the peak of his powers, I think they're underestimating Stormzy, in fairness. A little bit, yeah. It's been a dramatic night, Craig, in the World Cup, on this podcast, 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm drained at this point. <laughs> that's, Do you know what I mean? That's it's, how it's I want people to feel. It's weird show like this. It's weird Germany going out. I just don't... What, what am I going to do for rest of the night? Yeah, it's that thing as well. Like This remote thing as well has kind of thrown me a little bit. I hope it sounds okay. I'm sure it will, hopefully. And in the meantime, um, chat to you soon, listener. Enjoy the next crazy few weeks of December that we all Peace love. And love. Peace and love. Happy Christmas. Not yet. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, sorry. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.